Welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Politics, where we like to rethink politics. <laughs> so we're glad to have you with us. I just, For any new listeners, I wanted them to kind of know up front what they were getting into. So I think it's taken care of now. I think so. I think so. I, if the title didn't give it away. My explanation definitely Your explanation. Did. Yeah, if they didn't understand the title, though. Now that I'm thinking about it, they probably didn't understand the explanation. Uh, I used a different word. The title's rethinking. I said rethink. Totally different. Anyways, (laughs) here we are for episode 99. Very subtle. Very funny. Someone is, not us. Um, (laughs) We're going to be talking about some fun things. Um, We're going to be talking about... Food and environmentalism are our two favorite subjects, and in this case, they are uh, very closely intertwined. Um, the first thing we're going to be talking about is the Dutch. I thought we were going to talk about uh, Holland. <laughs> you know what? Let's just talk about the Netherlands instead. All right. We'll set aside the Dutch and, and Holland, Holland and talk about the we'll Netherlands. Talk Netherlands. So, so as, as you are all familiar, the Netherlands should not exist. It is a, a, a country that was li- literally created not out of thin air, but out of thin water. Um, and, and they, what? <laughs> You're killing <laughs> thin me over water? There, <laughs> Sorry. I, I feel like there's going to be people, because I would have been confused. There's going to be people confused. Dutch, Holland, and Netherlands are all the same people, and I still can't get over that. I still can't can't get over that. He can't. I did not know this until last week. I've moved on, but but Dan's stuck. I'm stuck, and now I'm stuck on thin water. So I'm I'm (laughs) I'm referencing the fact that that what they actually did hundreds of years ago is is they built giant giant dams basically these huge land barriers around whole sections of the netherlands that were either swampy or completely covered in water and then drained all of that water from the area in order to reclaim the land and so when i'm saying they created the country out of thin water that's what i mean is that it's this is not this is not a utopia that people just landed upon no this is a place that was not friendly to human existence and yet they made something out of it (laughs) that's i like that i like that so if you have thin water you can use it by draining it whereas if you have say thick water then you're just stuck um then then there's nothing you can do there's nothing you move on you move on you can dive into it i was about to say presumably that's that's uh, antarctica you know it's a whole lot of thick water and there's nothing you can do But but, uh, but but why I bring this up is because hundreds of years later, Netherlands, which is a tiny, tiny country that is equivalent to one of, you know, half a dozen of our small, you know. I heard Maryland. Maryland, yeah. basically. A very, you know, not a large state in the United States. Netherlands is equivalent to that. And yet they are the number two exporter of food in the world. That's nuts, this tiny yeah. little country. And so I, I bring up their their origin story because that lends explanation to why, to why they're able to produce so much. It's because they're incredibly efficient, and they have been, and they've perfected what they've done. And so basically you have this country of farmers that's this agricultural powerhouse that no one ever thinks or talks about. But if they do, they always refer to it as the Dutch Netherlands Holland. Um, anyways, so, so what's been happening over in the Netherlands is the government decided that they need to fix the climate crisis. And the first thing they got to do to fix the climate crisis is take care of nitrogen. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, nitrogen crisis is, is the concern. And so what's happening is... The manure that is being used by these farmers is creating nitrogen that's mixing with urine and creating ammonia. And it has the when it washes away, it 
can be harmful, right? That's the argument, is that it's detrimental to the local environment. And of course, there's other other factors as well, but that's the primary concern here. That's the primary driver to this whole crisis that's that's popped up here. And so, so they've they've instituted and are working on instituting some regulations. And the the national governments instituted these. They've told the local provinces you have time to come up with a plan. You got to present that plan about how you're going to limit the production of this nitrogen. And they've estimated that instituting this plan will cause 11,200 farms will have to close up shop completely because they simply will not be able to meet those numbers. And there's going to be done. They're going to be run out of business. And another 17,600 will have to significantly reduce what they're producing. And of course, the, the biggest change is going to be livestock but there's other changes in other ways and how these farmers are doing doing business so these dutch farmers got in their tractors and they went to the capital and they protested they've been protesting for a long time they've you know they've done this the slow protest you know on the highways where they're trying to stop traffic They've, I think they've dumped manure on some, uh, some steps of, uh, some government leaders, um, which I'm pretty sure is a violation of the nitrogen requirement. So that should be looked into. Um, and it's just been, it's just been going on and it's just wild. And it's not something that is even making it a little bit to American news. Like you can go over CNN, you can go over Fox. I'm not seeing it anywhere. And in fact, the only way I heard about it was because Jordan Peterson interviewed just a, a an absolutely insane human being who was talking about it. <laughs> you okay over there, Dan? I he is. I he may be right on he could be right about everything he says in that interview, for all I know. But he does. There's also something insane about him. <laughs> I think that's fair. He's he's a. Uh, He's ex-military. He's a uh, he's he's done a lot like a of war a, correspondent. a war correspondent, like a really intense war correspondent. Considers himself a, crazy a, job. a war expert and is just just wild, you know, um, just a just a wild human being. And yeah, he sounds like he came out of a bunker just a few minutes ago, <laughs> where he's been for the last sixty years. <laughs> you know, like like he's he's intense. And anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> We're not drawing from him, but uh, he was the one who pointed us to these things. But anyways, now I've lost my train of thought because I was just thinking about that guy. Um, you're, you're welcome to listen to the episode. I'd say it's it's very inflammatory. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of conjecture that that isn't verifiable. But the facts of what they're talking about, what's actually happened is all 100 percent legit. You know what I mean? They, they talk about lots yeah, of different yeah. events that are taking place worldwide. And those are all legit, and that's what we want to talk about. You know, what's happening in the, happening in the Netherlands is not an isolated event. This is something that's been spreading worldwide, and I, for one, am a little concerned. Absolutely. Uh, if you look at what they're requiring of these farmers in terms of nitrogen production, um, we talked a little bit about the climate change bill that happened uh, just recently in the U.S., and we talked about how. What they're doing to try and shift things and reduce uh, CEO emissions and whatnot is they're incentivizing other behavior. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening in this bill. No, this is just straight up restriction. You're producing this much, we shut you down. And that that amount varies a little bit depending on how close you are to the local areas they want to protect. Uh, But it varies between something like 40, 45% and upwards of 70 to somewhere between 70 and 90 percent i saw different figures i don't know why they were in terms of reduction like how much they'd have to reduce their how production. much they would have to reduce nitrogen and if you were if you were in the realm of having to to cut nitrogen by 70 percent you were being shut down and they know that they know that that's why like if you're wondering what why these farmers aren't working on their farms it's because they you mentioned 11,200, was it? 11,000-ish are, uh, are straight up going to be shut down. This is, this is a quote from the, the government, the, uh, referring to the minister over this. The minister sees three options for farmers, become more sustainable, relocate, or stop. 
Um, well, there are other other lines where they talk about, yeah, we recognize that there's going to be a lot of people who are just going out of business because of this. we're well, just closing them down. And that's one of the things that's wild about it is it's the government who predicted that 11,000 farms will have yeah. to close. This isn't the kind of thing where the government proposes legislation and afterwards they realize, whoa, people can't do this and it's going to have some hardship. Yeah. That's what we do here in the U.S. You know, We just do the classic screw-ups. <laughs> no, they came out the gate and said, we are going to be shutting down over 10,000 farms with this legislation and significantly re- limiting, you know, 17,000 others. And then however many others are going to be minor changes. But we are, I mean, we are yeah. out for blood in order to get what we want. Yeah. And, and before we jump to, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting things here with the Dutch farmers. And there is a lot happening around the world that, as you mentioned, we're just not seeing in the news. Crazy things are happening. This may seem like a, a minute detail of like, oh, there are going to be some Dutch farmers who are going to be able to produce less or not at all. Um, what happens to the food production? Well, it, it tanks because this, they're one of, they're a major food producer, but they're, they're one of many, right? Will people in the U.S. feel this? Probably a little bit in price increases in small ways, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. But what is a big deal is, well, first off, let me talk going into the climate a little bit. If you, if the world needs this food production, if that food is being used, then the production will simply happen somewhere else and it will happen somewhere far less efficient. The Dutch farmers, relatively speaking, are extremely efficient and extremely green. Mm-hmm. Um, they're operating in under the EU, right? They're operating under a European country that has a lot of expectations about the environment already. That food to, to effectively move the food production to another country is not going to protect the environment. It may protect their local environment as they're hoping it will. Um, if the biodiversity and things that they talk about in their arguments are, are, uh, you know, perhaps there's some merit to those ideas. Uh, but in terms of actually like, if you were to say what's good for the planet, moving them to a much less efficient place where you're going to have much more pollution associated with it, much more uh, greenhouse gas emission and so on, seems like a bad move. But- well, and especially when you're looking at the kind of metrics they're looking at, because, exam- you know, for example, with the nitrogen, there's l- nitrogen is so closely associated with with livestock that the end result is just anywhere that they have those strict nitrogen restrictions they just aren't going to be able to raise livestock and so what that comes across as to me is not a restriction on trying to be a more green farm but just you cannot produce this type of food anymore in these areas you know what i mean and that's That's very different than how we normally think about green measures. You know what I mean? We're yes. saying you just can't you just can't raise cattle anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of their statements about it, like this is a dead end. Uh, the idea being that there's no future in in livestock. Essentially, um, it, it's interesting. Now, but the thing is, this is not happening in isolation. This is uh, if you didn't know. Russia and Ukraine happen to export a lot of food as well. Um, if you didn't, and war is a good resource sink. And uh, the Canada is going to put similar restrictions on their and, farmers. And I think uh, Ukraine was also a big exporter of fertilizer, and and still is. And, yes, and that's uh, and that's significant because fertilizer plays a huge role in food production. That right. That food production is not. It's not a binary process. You know what I mean? It's not you have ground and then you have wheat and then you have, you know, a hamburger. There are more steps involved here. And, and one of the, those huge steps is fertilizer. And yes. you disrupt yes. fertilizer. You disrupt fertilizer now. And then six months to a year later, you have a reduced crop. And then six months after that, you have starvation. You know what I mean? It's a it's a delayed reaction even further because it's one step further back but it yes. still has an effect. Yes, yes. And for further information on that effect of messing with fertilizer, see Sri Lanka. <laughs> Sri Lanka played with the fertilizer. Um, they, they have a number of other issues there. Um, 
If you're not familiar with what's happening in Sri Lanka, currently there are a lot of random people living in the president's house, and the president fled the country. I think he's in Thailand right now. Thailand, yes, I think is where he was seen recently. He was in Singapore before that. Um, Sri Lanka is an interesting place. Uh, Sri Lanka was on the rise. Uh, they, uh, you had some statistic, Brad, about their income. yeah, yeah. They were they had the second highest per capita income in South Asia, which in is South Asia. Yes, yeah, so it's so it's not second highest worldwide, not even second highest in Asia, because there are some big powerful countries in Asia. But they're they were on the rise. You know what I mean? There are a lot of yeah. of South Asian countries. You know, you've got Thailand, you've got. Burma and Laos and Vietnam. Don't don't test my my knowledge. Hey, here. that was pretty good. But that was pretty good. There's a you few. Call that a win. And they're and they had the second highest, or they still might. But but right now, I mean, you have people who are who are starving. You have shortages of all sorts of products, and that's why the people started rioting and started protesting the current government. Yes, and, and that's why yeah. the president is in hiding. Because they got ousted. Yeah, so they they basically centralized the farming in a variety of ways. Uh, they put a nationwide ban on the importation and use of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, and uh, determined that the the two million farmers in the country were going to go organic. <laughs> Domestic rice production fell twenty percent in the first six months. Uh, they they had to import a bunch of rice. Uh, uh, there's we'll post an article about it you can get into the details if you want to and what and what happens and what happened initially what happened in six months is nothing compared to what's going to happen over the course of a year or two right um as brad was saying this is this is down the road type of things um it got to the point where food is crazy expensive and there's almost no food in sri lanka and so how do you end up with a bunch of people? I had read some initial articles about this that were like, oh, there's some political unrest in uh, Sri Lanka. The mm -hmm. people aren't happy with their government. <laughs> and then you dig into it and it's like, actually, the people are starving. <laughs> and they're desperate for food. And they're ready to kill people for it if they had to. And when we were talking about it yesterday, and I, I, I pointed out, and it's something that I think is, is very true, it's worth remembering, is that when people are well-fed, when people are employed, when people have a normal life, they don't tend to overthrow their government. Because why would you? You know what I mean? Like yeah. like me, I, I'm not happy with our current government. You may have picked up on that. But, <laughs> but I have to go to work later, and so I don't have time to overthrow the government. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to work. <laughs> I'm going to get money. I'm going to take care of my kids and my family and my house. You know what I mean? I got all these things that are getting in the way of me overthrowing the government. And and so I'm not going to overthrow the government. But but let's say I'm now unemployed or I'm still employed, but I'm not getting any money that I can use for anything. You know, there are no consumable goods that I can purchase or my factory shut down because it was replaced by something else. And so now I have nothing to do and nothing to lose because my children are starving because of the government's actions. Well, now it's a different story. Now my personal daily interest is about the government. You know what I mean? Because they, you know what I mean? And so that's absolutely People don't people don't overthrow governments when when they're busy with their normal lives. So, you know, I mean, there's real truth to it. I mean, that's why when people are fed and they're taken care of their basic needs, they're not going to do nearly as much. I mean, yeah. you can even tie this back to the United States, you know, during 2020. Part of the reason the BLM protests got so large and became such a huge movement is because people had time. You know what I mean? You had a huge yeah, yeah, yeah. number of people who didn't have to work for a while. And then there's this opportunity to do something that they've, they've always cared about, but they were busy with other things. Well, now you have time. You know what I mean? Now you have less to lose by protesting. You know, you combine that with you have instability, you have fear, you have, you know, shortages and things like that that cause people to get more upset. And it makes a lot of sense. But obviously, it, it absolutely does. And if things had gotten worse, the protests and riots would have gotten worse. You know, what I mean, if people were actually starving in the United States, something like what happened in Sri Lanka might have happened, but it never got that bad. And so people didn't respond that way. I mean, people 
people are somewhat are pretty rational and so they're not going to throw away their personal lives just because of a cause they believe in but when their personal lives are being thrown away already then things change it does it changes everything this is a a slight a slight tangent but extremely relevant this is a the progression of marxist theory follows this line because marx originally thought that capitalism would lead to a class of people that got poorer and poorer and poorer until eventually they were starving and had nothing. And then they would overthrow people. And of course they would. Of course they would, right? If that why, actually why happened, wouldn't? yeah. And then it turned out that they actually were getting richer, just getting richer slower than the rich were. Um, and it turns out it was remarkably stable. Yeah. <laughs> Capitalism is very stable. That people, people love to complain when they live in a capitalist society but they don't love to violently overthrow the government because they're actually doing good. You know what I mean? Not the government, yeah. but the people like they're yes. prospering. They're not going to overthrow the government. Yes. So there are now competing Marxist theories that have evolved from there to be like, well, how do we create a revolutionary class? Maybe it has to come from, maybe there has to be a vanguard, right? Is one of the ideas you've got to have a, a, a vanguard of intellectuals and things who can see that the world would be better if there was a revolution. And then they, carve the way. Or there's other theories where it's like, no, we got to deliberately create discontent so that by problematizing everything and thus you can create a class of people who are willing to, you know, but you have to make it happen because in the ordinary day-to-day of, of, of at least reasonable prosperity, people just have other things to do with their time. <laughs> they've got, they've got things they want, they've got TV shows they want to watch, right? They've got... You'd have to kill the internet in the U.S. to even begin to have a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kill the internet or disrupt the food supply. You know, disrupt the food supply. Yes, these these are the kind of things that would that would get people up in arms. Um, which is which is worth noting, right? This is we've talked about COVID in the past and the disruption and things, uh, inflation and whatnot, and now we're looking at food supply things. Uh, so Sri Lanka is in a bad way, and they're going to be in a bad way for a long time. Um, I don't know what it'll take to get their, their economy, uh, fixed to get things back to where they were. Obviously, you can't grow crops overnight. And they were relying a lot on their own food. They had two million farmers. You can't create food out of nothing. For a while, they're just in a really, really bad way. And, and they're, they're a relatively small country. And so there, there's, there's more that can be done for them than can be done for for other situations. I mean, they're small. I mean, they can yeah. get they can get aid from other countries. They can get food brought in. I mean, that's something yes. that happens on a somewhat not a regular basis, but occasionally it happens where you have countries that basically that basically collapse. Their economy will collapse, mm-hmm. and then other countries step in and keep the people from starving, which is Greece. good. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yes, we. We don't want people starving. <laughs> Star- mm-hmm. Starvation, bad. Um, but but I, and, I, I bring that ahead. up because because the governments make stupid decisions all the time. When they make them in isolation, in smaller environments, the negative impact can be tempered. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We haven't seen... We haven't seen massive death in a long time. You know what I mean? We haven't seen what you saw in Russia under Stalin where people were literally dying by the millions from starvation, from famine. You know what I mean? Where you had a centrally planned government and people were literally just just dying. I mean, they were being killed by the government, but they were also just dying from famine. And it was crazy. The crazy numbers that we don't even have solid data on because it was, you know, it was Soviet Russia, but we yeah, know something like 6 million starved or something. But we know the I've numbers heard. were crazy, right? And that hasn't mm-hmm. happened in a long time because when these small countries make these government gambles, you know, they they don't suffer those full consequences, which is good, but it's it's, it's worth pointing out that we're not seeing the full consequences of these actions. So if we emulate, you know what I mean? If, if the United States did what, you know, Sri Lanka did and the United States, you know, food production, I mean, we're, we're the number one exporter of food in the world. 
if we did that, you know, what would be the ramifications? If the Netherlands goes through with all of their plans, what are going to be the ramifications? Yeah. Because these are the countries that are picking up the slack. You know, the Netherlands is not Sri Lanka. The Netherlands is not a blip, maybe in terms of population, but in terms of what they're producing, if that is cut in half, you know, what are going to be the ramifications? I don't know, but it's not good, especially when you factor in, Dan, that the the supply chain issues that were started with COVID have not stopped. You know what I mean? Those have been continuing. I mean, everyone has said, all the government leaders have said, this is going to clear up. I mean, they, they were saying that from 2020, that this is going to clear up and we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it yet. In many cases, it's gotten worse in different areas of the world and different times. I mean, we're still seeing shortages in the U.S. today, and it's been, you know, a solid two years. <laughs> it, yes, and what is a shortage here is a, is a complete you – know, where we don't get some things, poorer countries will end up with, with nothing. With right? where, where we will be inconvenienced, poorer countries will be uh, – will be going truly without and getting in malnutrition and even starvation later. You're right to point out that, uh, that the Netherlands is on a different scale. Despite its size, it is the number two exporter of food in the world, which is insane, which is insane. Um, in the top five, three of them are European. In the EU. Uh, yeah, yes, thank you. Specifically in the EU. Um, and the EU is considering... In fact, this this is a in some ways a preliminary. Uh, what's the word? A uh, uh, where you do it before you need to do it. This is a this preemptive. is a preemptive step from the Netherlands that may be a pol a general policy in the EU in the near future. In which case, you would you would have you would have not just the number two affected. You would have. Three of the top five, I believe, affected, and, and that's that's in, that's much much worse. As I mentioned, Canada's already following suit. I don't know how Canada rates on the exporting food. I can't imagine very high. They're they're pretty far north, but what do I know? If Netherlands can do it, I feel like just about anybody can. Yeah, and and you know when we were talking about uh you know the Inflation Reduction Act, Dan, we were we were talking about how this is not. This is not bad. You know what I mean? There were so many things about that bill that I didn't hate. You know what I mean? Like like the way they were doing the corporate tax. Like, wow, this is this is kind of cool. Um, you know, and then not placing a bunch of restrictions on companies in terms of climate change, but instead just creating a bunch of incentives that are going to cause malinvestment. Obviously, that's not ideal. Obviously, that's going to hurt the economy, but it's also what the U.S. has been doing for the past two years. I mean, that's the same thing we did – Every time we, we, you know, we had a stimulus package, it was the same thing, creating malinvestment. And so this is just another, another case of that malinvestment. But, but these hardcore environmental restrictions, which is what environmentalists in the United States want, but they don't have the clout for, but they do in the yeah, EU. Yeah. I'm genuinely concerned, Dan, I... As, as we've been preparing for this, I had some very real existential dread <laughs> about... This is the scariest thing I've looked at. About, I feel yes, like this, this is, is the... about where the world is headed. And, and I told my wife, I was like, I don't want to record this podcast tomorrow because, because I'm just depressed. <laughs> I was like, what's the point? <laughs> we're all gonna starve in a year anyway well well we're not going to starve <laughs> no we're not going which to. which in some ways makes it worse because doesn't it it makes it sadder it makes it sadder because if 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 we were going to starve a year from now then i could be like hey you need to stock up on food you know what i mean you need to prepare for starvation in the united states which could theoretically happen but it's unlikely you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. unlikely because if the U.S. cuts its food production by 90%, when we're exporting so much, we're still going to be producing food in the United States. You know what I mean? It's it's the other countries that are going to suffer. It's the third world countries. Same thing with you know the Netherlands and the EU. The Netherlands is a tiny, tiny country producing an insane amount of food. 
they cut their production 90%, they'll still have enough to eat. But the 90% that was going to somewhere else, those are the people who are going to suffer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and what we're talking about, I mean, if you had widespread famine, which at this point is a very real possibility, um, you know, as you said before, you know, Ukraine and Russia not exporting like they were before, the huge, you know, the, the energy crisis in terms of uh, – Oil and gas production, which is used to make fertilizer, combined with Ukraine producing less fertilizer. Worldwide shortages and famine is looking very much like not just a possibility, but a very real probability. And when that happens, we're talking about millions of people dying, but somewhere else, you know what I mean? And that's just, it's just rough. A, a lot of the lists include the European as, Union as one thing. The European Union as its own thing exports something like more than the, the next like 15 biggest exporters combined. The European Union exports a ton. If they, if they go all in on climate stuff, hopefully they're not. Hopefully they're looking at their dependence on oil. And you know a lot of them are reversing some of their green policies regarding first fossil fuels because right now, Russia has them over a barrel and it's it's just not not good for them, right? Hopefully they don't go down this road that the Netherlands is going down. Um but if they did, there would be widespread famine. No, and, and uh, see it and I'm that's not what I'm saying, Dan. I'm saying the things that have already happened. Yes, yes. I'm saying yes. I'm saying the wheels are already turning towards <laughs> towards famine. That the yes. EU may go green you know or not. Or not. And, but regardless of that these other these other things that are happening the you know i don't i don't know the metaphor but the batter's already been made now we're just waiting for the cake to bake you know <laughs> I, I don't know you know baking a cake is not the kind of inevitability that uh that we usually think of with a good analogy here but uh but we'll take it we'll take it i was going to say if you count the eu as its own as one thing Canada, which is going, which is embracing all kinds of silly policies, there it would go: the EU, United States, Brazil, China, Canada. I was joking about Canada. Canada is a major exporter of food. They are. They're they're top top five if you uh, list the EU as one thing. Well, yeah, but listing the EU as one thing is cheating. So is yeah. I don't know why they would do that, but. That's how a lot of the lists do it. Anyway, the... Uh, well, no, and it makes sense why you do it, because the EU does tend to act together in some aspects. As a trading block, mm -hmm. probably, mm -hmm. with regards to the food. But it's yeah. such a huge chunk of the world in terms of, you know, when you've got so many countries in the EU that are already top of the list, like the Netherlands. Anyways, where does that leave us, Dan? Besides, where does that leave besides us? Besides a little depressed. So besides a little depressed... Um, the the result the inflation is we talk about inflation in the United States inflation is hitting the entire world because then every system in the world every financial system in the world is affected by ours ours is the world financial system and so every subsystem is affected when our system not has to problems. mention other governments were doing the same thing that our government did which helped cause the inflation in the that's first right. place I mean that's right because there were huge chunks of the world that shut down i mean way longer than the united states did and, and way way more severely i mean part of the reason we still have shortages today is because of those lockdowns two years ago that disrupted you know the supply chain that stopped things stopped being produced and and so things weren't being shipped and they were being produced you know in overdrive now there's not enough to move those things over you know i mean those kinds of things happened because of our response to COVID in 2020. Mm -hmm. And all these countries had similar responses to the United States, except more extreme, which in addition to being reliant on the U.S. dollar, has caused their own economic problems. Right, right. Um, if you think of inflation as any price increase, then any shortage is inflation. Not to mention that the monetary policies of a lot of governments also followed ours, where mm -hmm. they just spent a lot of money, even though there was no, you know, less production. Um, 
It's so Pakistan, which which they had to do to keep people docile when nothing is being produced. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, to keep keep things uh, right, keep people because happy. at least because, give them the illusion. Because of- why were people in the United States okay during COVID? It's because yeah, even though they were unemployed, they were getting all this. You know, I mean, the huge boost in unemployment money, so that they were still able to live. You know what I mean? If they were mm-hmm. said, "Hey, you can't come to work," and also we're not going to pay you. You know, things would have been very different. <laughs> right, right, right. So there are a number of countries around the world that are extremely unstable at this point and experiencing economic, some of them straight up experiencing economic collapse. Um, this, I don't know the details on these. This could be production related issues. This could be food related issues. This could be uh, green policy related issues. Uh, what we have is a, a quick look at a couple of those. Um, Pakistan is a big one. Pakistan has never been extremely stable politically. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now it's much worse than that. They're experiencing inflation rates of, I'll pull up the number in a second. I had it up, uh, up here. I I thought I I believe it was mid twenties is what you were saying. It was, yes, I believe it's 24. That's right. It's 24%. It's like 24.1% a year. Make sure you get the, yeah, the 0.1 or 0.2. That's going to make all the difference. (laughs) Like, oh, I thought you said it was 0.2%. You're saying it's 0.1%. That's not a big deal. 24.2 24.2 <laughs> is a problem. 24.1 is fine. There's a, you got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Somewhere, and it's at 24.2. <laughs> the uh, as such, their their cost of living is is you know extremely high. And depending if they shuffle the numbers like the U.S. government does, then it's much worse than that. Um, our ours, in case you wanted a reminder to contrast it with our ours was 9.1 percent last time we looked. Um, Our Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates to try and counter it. It had its biggest like 28-day increase that I've seen of 0.75% on interest rates. In Argentina, they just increased their interest rate over a similar period, 9.5%, making the interest rate 69.5%. That's insane. <laughs> it's Argentina. I don't know how you, you know, what the proper definition of hyperinflation is, but I think they're there. They're, they're, Their inflation rate is 71%. I was about to say, I don't think they're actually there, but they're really, really close. They're, they're knocking on the they're door of a complete the financial yeah. Yeah, collapse. They're, they're, they're most likely headed there. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to have inflation over tw- over 70% is nuts and they keep raising the interest rate just like in the US and just like in the US <laughs> it isn't worth crap 69.5% interest rate i don't know i don't know that that changes anything from a 60% interest rate right you're not starting a company with a 60% interest rate you're not taking out a loan for a house with the, what loans are they hoping to stop by raising it from 60 yeah, once, to 69? Once you hit this point, which which is what people always talk about with hyperinflation, is is you reach a point where you start living on a daily basis. You know yes, what I mean? I mean right. With Your seven, time scale with, becomes – With 70%, it's probably more of a weekly basis, but still. You know what I mean? Where you're not keeping $1,000 in your bank account for two months because – you do that for two months and you just lost, you know, what is it, like $150 in that two months. You know what I mean? Just for two months mm-hmm. for your $1,000. And so what you're doing is you're getting your, you know, you're getting your weekly paycheck or whatever, and then you're spending it immediately on goods. You're not investing in, you're not taking out loans because you can't afford them. You know what I mean? It's just. You're not saving money. You're not saving. worth significantly less you're in, just, a, in a short time. Oh, man, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how you'd function in an economy with interest rates that high besides living hand to mouth. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know what businesses are doing because obviously because the, the inflation rate is higher, that interest rate is merely just matching it. So theoretically, yes. you could still be taking out loans because you understand that with in- inflation being high – but everything just becomes less certain. You know what I mean? Because you don't know mm-hmm. what the inflation rate's going to be like in 10 months, and that could sig- significantly impact your ability to repay back the loan you just got. Like, it's just weird. It's just weird. But it's so unstable. There's 
this is a dying economy. When you have inflation here, you're just that close to going into hyperinflation. And when you go into hyperinflation, the economy just inevitably collapses. Yeah, they've got they're spiraling, and I don't know how you pull out of it. Um, it may depend on I, I, some of the articles I was looking at talked about the stability of of Brazil has been key for them. Brazil's at like almost twelve percent, um, which which is much closer to our own uh, and much much better. Um, and I think Brazil I love, anchors I love, a lot of this out. I love that twelve percent is now is now good. You know, it's now, it's now <laughs> you stable. start looking at these twelve twenty four percent sixty or what was it? Uh, we were just talking about the Argentina. It's over 70% in Argentina. Over 70%, yeah, with an interest rate. It, it's sad when the interest rate and inflation rate are 60 plus and they're close together. Like, like you're not sure which one. They're close enough you can mix them up. It's a, it's an absolutely catastrophic sign for what's happening there. Uh, you'd be pulling money out of the Argentinian economy as fast as you possibly can and changing it into other crypto other currencies and investing it in other places. Yeah. The, the, whatever ends up happening in the immediate future, the long-term future has been shattered because of this, uh, for quite some time. And then the biggest, perhaps the biggest player here, the biggest one is, uh, China. Um, China, we've talked about China several times here, uh, that it's, uh, something of a paper tiger as the saying goes. Um, that, uh, that its actual economic forecast is much, much worse than people had been talking about over the last couple of years. Um, China's real estate market, what happened with Evergrande was a big deal. Um, Evergrande was a massive, absolutely massive company. And it turned out they were, they were Seriously, leveraged to the hilt and had unsound. no profitable. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, uh, it appears that the policies and practices of Evergrande are the norm and that Evergrande was just the biggest domino to fall early. Uh, they have an absolute obsession with real estate as a symbol of wealth there. And so they've invested a massive amount of their economy into it. Something like 70% of the average person's wealth is caught up in real estate. And it is just a giant bubble, a bubble on scale, perhaps unlike any other bubble that we've seen in recent years, a collapse that will make the 2008 financial crisis look really tame is what I've heard, right? We don't know this. That's at that point, it's, it's, it's to some degree, uh, uh, it's speculation, really good speculation, speculation, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to state that I think that's going to happen. I don't know enough about it, but it appears like it'll happen. And it appears like there's going to be, uh, no, you, people you are you starting to exactly. You think it's going to happen, but you don't know. There's, they're, they're on the verge of bank runs. Um, they're, the way that their bank system works is much like ours at the top, but they also have a bunch of banks that operate on a more local level that don't have the backing of the, of the federal government, federal government, the Chinese Communist Party, federal just our favorite a functional government. enough word, but <laughs> they, they don't have the, they're not favored by the, the people who run that country. So, and uh, Sometimes we forget about the fact that China is a totalitarian state. It is, mm -hmm. it is the last hangover of the horrible, horrible totalitarian states of the 20th century. You know, the yes. Nazis are gone. Stalin is gone. Communist China is still here. And they've made some changes. But fundamentally, at the core of their government, it is a totalitarian state. And yes. that hasn't changed. Yes. And what you'll... What you're getting is uh, investment is being pulled from it. The Chinese, it, you can read uh, the Global Times is a is a good paper uh, if you want to hear the Chinese spin. If you want to hear the the Communist Party spin it, um, they're talking about how they're changing the banking practices and they're going to shore up the shore up the economy and and uh, change the regulations and things so that uh, to try and restore trust. As it is right now. Uh, China is uh, in a really, really bad place financially. Um, the So much of the foreign investment in China is in this real estate market. So much of the investment of the citizens is in this real estate market. So much of, the, of what makes China's numbers look good is in the real estate market. And if it collapses and it's got to collapse, there's no, there's got to be a reckoning here mm -hmm. of some kind. Um, you could, it could devastate the Chinese economy and the Chinese currency. And as people pull out of investments and 
and so on. It could, it could be a spiraling effect here in China that has major impact, not to mention the fact that their policy is still zero COVID. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they, they, they've lightened up a little bit lately, finally, but it's still, they're still doing way too much and shutting down way too many things. Um, it, it's, it's a strange place and it's a strange time in China. Uh, it, it's not good for their economy at any level. In other words, in other words, Dan, here we are two years post COVID and people want to act like it's over. I want to act like it's over. Like the, you know, the, the supply chain crisis is, is on the, is on the fix. You know, it's on the men. Things are going to get better in that sense. You know, the, the worldwide economy is going to stabilize and we'll kind of get back to a 2019 world. Because that's what we'd all like. You know what I mean? 29 was 2019 where things weren't perfect, but at least things were functioning. Things are functioning and things looked up. But 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 the more I look at the world and the more I look at all these different countries, you know, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing I'm seeing things getting worse, not better in terms of the supply chain. I'm seeing things going back to 2020 where here in the US we've got all sorts of shortages of random things, you know, especially food shortages. Not to the point of starvation here in the U.S., but definitely to the point of starvation and famine in other parts of the world. And I'm seeing, you know, like China, China is a huge player on the world economic stage, not necessarily in terms of food exports, but in a whole slew of other things. So if the Chinese economy collapses, that's going to have ripple effects all all around the world. I mean, China is heavily invested in, in the United States. You know, they, they're invested in, in businesses and in, in land, um, in, in even federal debt. You know what I mean? They they own large chunks. Yeah. And and so so if if the Chinese economy collapses and as a result they start selling all of their US assets, what do you think that's going to do to the US economy to have this huge sell-off? You know what I mean? That could yeah. throw like you could have a Chinese um market collapse, a real estate market collapse result in a US real estate market collapse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, unintended consequences with these dominoes can be wild. You know what I mean? Yes. And kind of like how, you know, Ukraine not producing as much fertilizer could result in a famine a year later. You know what I mean? Just unintended consequences that we are not looking at, that politicians in the United States are not talking about. You know, while we're talking about patting ourselves on the back for for passing legislation that has a bunch of CO2 credits that probably aren't really going to do anything. It's just going to be a chance for businesses to game another system. And isn't really going to do anything for climate change. But on the flip side, the world economy is, you know, inches away from from collapsing, not not an utter collapse, but but a devastating one, you know, that could have very real implications for for everyone. It's it's nuts, Dan. It is nuts. It's it is when the news is focused on a raid of one of Trump's houses. Do you hear about this? this yeah, this, yeah, yeah. The FBI raid and F- FBI raid in the house they, uh, they related stole, to they, they, documents. They were, yeah, taking seizing a bunch of documents, and we don't know why they seized them, and and we are trying really hard to care, and we just can't. <laughs> right. I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at perhaps an imminent economic collapse in China. That would China is one of the major food exporters, of course. They're top. They're top five. Um, their, uh, their investments are all over and it would ripple through, you know, most of the world would feel it. Um, it's, it's hard to work up the, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the, the, the fake indignation at what is, what is probably a partisan use of political power. At least, at least could be, you know, it's like, all right whatever like like there are countries we may embrace policies that take the problems of covid and make everything much worse and they're going to be things that happen down the line and are subtle effects and we need to figure it out now and this this political back and forth is just not that important (laughs) it's just not 
<laughs> just doesn't matter that much. What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say that that it, it may, I mean, for sure the attention on it is partisan driven. The actual raid itself may not have been partisan. I mean, Trump has done a lot of sketchy things, so seizing his documents is actually seems kind of reasonable to me like you know what i mean when i when yes, i, yeah, when I yeah. heard that it happened i was like okay well that makes sense you know what i mean this is this is a guy who who tried to stop the peaceful transition of power who definitely abused his power as president in order to stay in power uh-huh. you know maybe maybe we should see these documents that he doesn't want people to see you know what i mean that's kind of a reasonable thing like when you have investigations when you had the watergate scandal that's what you were doing is you were you know yes the the, the police in order to investigate is getting the evidence, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's exactly what you need to find out exactly what happened instead of just relying on two public tweets. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that does make but, sense. But right? I agree. And what would make but even I, more sense would be if they, if along with that, there were investigations into a dozen other people. Right? You, you cut partisan lines. You go. You know what? We're going to clean up. If we're going to clean up corruption, let's really clean up corruption. We're going to go after Trump. We're going to go after Hillary. We're going to go after uh, uh, the Biden kid. Uh, kid. He's like he's way older than I am. After <laughs> Hunter Biden, and so on. Right? You could you could make it. You know, you could do it in a manner that would garner respect. I think. Um, and you're right that that even you you almost certainly can justify going after Trump on a variety of things. Um, but anyway, go on. <laughs> but but I wholeheartedly agree with you that in terms of of priorities, it's just it's just not there. I mean, it's it's really not because he's not in power. You know what I mean? He's not making any decisions. He's whatever people tell you. He's he's not going to get reelected. It's 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 not going to happen. And at least not interesting. Gonna- we'll have to talk about that. I'd be interested in why you why you're so convinced of that. I don't, you may be right. I'm not saying I disagree. It's just. <laughs> well, another day, another day. Yes, so I can, another that day. way I can come up with some arguments. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, in terms of, of what's going to happen, the economy and, and I think part of why this is so frustrating is because here we are in a downward spiral in terms of, of on a world scale. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're going to be, we're headed towards some hurt. But as we're headed towards some hurt, governments worldwide are doubling down on all of the policies that led us there. You know what I mean? There is no there is no understanding of even the connection between what's been done and what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. The this this famine is going to happen and probably the whole thing will be blamed on on like the U- Ukraine war or some other single event you know what i mean kind of yeah. like how you know gas prices you know have have doubled under Biden's presidency and yet it's all blamed on the Ukraine war even though gas prices had already gone up like a dollar before you know <laughs> yeah. you know Putin did a single thing right and yet right. th- and yet somehow that dollar has been folded under Putin's responsibility and that's and that's what's going to happen here is 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 we're going to have some you we're going to have famine we're going to have shortages we're going to have starvation on a wide scale and we're not going to know why it happened and we're going to get right back to those bad practices that brought us there and that and that for me is the most disturbing thought that we could do it and learn nothing or do it and double down yeah we could embrace this that's that's a terrifying thought well hopefully we can Hopefully people can pick up on some of these things and start to push back against it. We're, we are really due for an update on our thinking about climate in general. I really think that, that there is, we now have the pieces and the data to reset the expectations and change the directions and goals of the climate movement at a fundamental level. See, and, and I agree, but in the other way, I think we've finally reached a point of political acceptance of the need it's for good. environmentalism, that it is the the new movement, and it is the movement that could 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 wreck the world. You know what I mean? <sighs> yes. I mean, this this is this is that movement. You know what I mean? This yes. Is, yeah, yeah. It, it, it reminds, I agree with you that it, politically, politically, it's never been more powerful. It and reminds it has me. The tools. It reminds me of 
of early communist China when, when Mao came into power and Mao was like, we need to become a superpower. And so he took the farmers and said, we need you to start producing metal. You know what I mean? We don't need food. We need metal. We need industry. And so the government pushed people into these other fields and people starved. You know what I mean? Because because they stopped producing food and started producing something else because yeah. of a centralized plan and people died for it. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of thing we're seeing with environmentalism where we have these priorities where they say – yeah, you can't have these cows because it is doing incremental damage to the environment. And the farmers say, okay, well, we're doing this, this, and this to temper that. And the environmentalists say, well, that's not enough. And so the only thing we can do is just stop, you know, get rid of that lifestyle, yeah. just be done with it. And and that kind of thinking is more and more widespread. I mean, we finally have a generation who grew up on the day after tomorrow and what's the uh, Al Gore one? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the global warming one. Yes. Uh, I want to say it's a clear and present danger, even though I know it's Tom Clancy, but it's, <laughs> oh, an inconvenient truth. An inconvenient, an inconvenient truth. truth. You know, it's ironic. Wait, can we pause for a second? That is the exact an inconvenient truth that people don't want to see is the exact opposite in some ways of the clear and present danger. <laughs> that's the <laughs> carry on. Well, that's why I, I thought of it because it's a similar kind of idea. It is. Of it about, is within that. There's something yes, going I can see on that there's and a are people recognizing it. Yes, yes, exactly. Anyways, an inconvenient truth. You know, we finally have a generation of adults who were raised on these ideas. Yeah. And so they're ingrained. They're not... They're not logical. I mean, I've had conversations with my wife about it, and it's like we don't even know what we're talking about because when you talk about climate change, you're never talking about hard data. You're talking about philosophical views, and the philosophical view is either humans are destroying the world and it just needs to be stopped or anything else, and anything else is bad. You know what I mean? There's no room for a reasoned discussion. If you have anything negative to say about any environmental action, it means that you're a climate change denier. It means that you're insane. It means that you're a conspiracy. You know what I mean? It's all of these things. Yes. And so there's no room for that reasoned shift that you're looking for, Dan. Like that's what I'm saying. I, I don't see how maybe... how we get to that reasoned shift of yours where we say, hey, we need to reevaluate because we have way more data than we did when an inconvenient truth was made. And I just don't see it. You're right. You're right that the political power of this group has never been greater. And that at this point, it's gone from being a political belief to just a cultural bias that is ingrained in young people from the beginning, which makes it much harder to question and have debate about. I guess the cause of my hope is that... Um, is that I think there are better, what's the word? A couple things. One is that I don't think we've had any luck in changing things. And that in response to actual disaster, I th I'm optimistic that people will radically discard, radically and rapidly discard ideas that don't seem to work. Now, maybe they'll put them back into place as soon as the disaster is over, or maybe we get the disaster and people go, this is the perfect opportunity for us to implement sustainable farming for the future. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the result of bad things happening will be to double down. But to some degree, we haven't pushed climate, especially in the US, climate hasn't been pushed so hard that it causes real problems. We, we've pushed just hard enough that it keeps up with our prosperity and it delays our, it hurts our prosperity, but, but it's a, you know, we're, we're, it's cutting a little bit from our gains rather than causing actual declines. Um, and in this bill we just looked at is in line with that. Uh, what they're doing in the Netherlands is the opposite. The Netherlands will, it will make the people much worse off. They will actually lose things. And and I would say, Dan, that we actually have done more that we don't think about. I mean, an example of that is uh, plastics refinement, 
we we don't refine a whole slew of plastics in the U.S. because of environmental restrictions. You're right. You know, You're right. Those businesses have been shut down and yeah. we don't think about it. And now those plastics are refined in other countries much more inefficiently than they used to be refined here in the U.S. And much right. worse for the environment. I mean, like literally As worse whole, for, yes. the, for, the, for the world. Yes. Because of climate change policy. You're right. In the US. We've made a number of things unprofitable and those have gone overseas. And that's yes. Yeah. You're you're right. That there's there's a lot there, but it that, but we but still it's grow. under the surface. We're used to it because it happened before you or I paid attention. You know what I mean? So yes. we don't even yes. think about it, but those things are still there. Yes, but but on the whole, America still grows. Our economy grows. Um we become more prosperous with COVID. I maybe it's maybe with COVID and inflation, we're down. We we're having real. I think we are in the middle of a real setback. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. The world really hasn't. You get it in countries in certain places of the world, people have gotten poorer, but it's very rare under capitalism and under our the is corrupt as our markets have become in a lot of ways and is centralized. Um, and the international trade deals and things are often stupid. Uh, but the way, <laughs> as foolish as so much is, we have gotten better, we become better off. Um, you reverse that, and I think people will wake up. I think people will discard partisan ideas and, and, uh, and actually, I don't know, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It could go either way. You, when you get instability, you get you get chaos, and when you and you get change, and the, I think that that change in the U.S. would be for the better. I don't know in other places. I don't. I don't buy it. I. I. I really. And I'm, I'm not. not, I'm, not. I, I'm not seeing it. I keep thinking of of so many times that when things happen, especially here in the U.S., people push for government solutions, and. And we're really good at saying that this happened because of lack of government intervention in the first place. That the reason this famine happened is because the government wasn't controlling food supplies. I can I I can so easily see it going you may the be other right. way. You may be right. You know what I mean? You're, you're that, probably that, right. That you're when you look right. at the 2008 housing crisis in the U.S., do you know what the rallying cry was afterwards? Why we weren't we regulating yeah. this? When we had these huge, massive agencies that have been they regulating them but. decades, for but terribly, but terribly, but no one ever said, hey, these regulations are stupid and need to be reevaluated. <laughs> no, they said we need more regulations. You know what I mean? When you get you get actual complete, government policy driving the bad loans. Yeah, exactly. It was completely backwards. Semi, no one, semi-government banks. It's It has never been publicly accepted. That the 2008 housing crisis was because of government intervention, not because there wasn't any. You know what right. I mean? And that's a right. great example of how no, the evidence is there and it doesn't matter. So, th- so I'm th- not. I think convinced. what's making me optimistic is uh, is Germany, in particular, Germany returning to fossil fuels and coal production and things. Um, and uh, they had recently because taken they have a big to. step. Yes, because they have to. They they recently taken a big step towards renewable energy found that it was expensive, costly, and you know, expensive, expensive, costly, and took a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> expensive and ineffective and have turned back to other things. Um, I'm optimistic that there are going to be more countries like that that do that. But but you're right that maybe that optimism is is uh, misplaced. That That is an exception. That is an exception that they did. Yeah, because I wouldn't. They, they I wouldn't say that Germany's learned any lesson. I'd say that they're they're using what, they're they, have what they have to, to do right, to get by. Yeah, exactly. But as soon as they have the chance, they're going to go right back to what they were doing before. There's no, there's no lesson learned in Germany. The <laughs> Germans are very, very progressive. I mean, they, they are. They've banned homeschooling. I got nothing for Germany. <laughs> they are. Well. With that, I guess we have no hope to offer you. Things are going to get food storage. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It's true. Things are looking grim and, uh, and the near future because of COVID, it, the problems are already there, right? We're not saying more problems are going to develop. The problems are there and government policies may exasperate these problems. They are in a lot of places. Um, 
we're going to talk in the near future, maybe this next episode, it may be uh, an episode following, uh, depending on current events, about climate in general and about the kind of philosophical ideas behind it. I think that would be really interesting to get into. That has become more and more clear. Uh, Brad and I have been talking about it a lot lately. This, this sets up the current trends in policy and the effects that they're having. Um, our policy being a, the US policy, recent policy being a light example of just malinvestment. Mm-hmm. Whereas you get other, other things like the Netherlands on the more extreme end, people who are taking the claims very seriously and applying them as it would, as you would have to, to get serious change. Yeah. If you believe what people are saying, yes. you have to do that. That doing, this Inflation Reduction Act isn't going to achieve any of the goals of the environmentalists. You know what I mean? In terms of what yeah. needs to be done to stop what they believe is coming, this doesn't do that. Yeah, assuming it plays out like a dream and does everything they hope it could do, it will. There was a. <laughs> it reduces the. It will reduce the temperature increase. From global warming, theoretically, you know, putting it into the models. Yeah, yeah. You get, you get like a thousandth of a degree Fahrenheit, a couple thousandths of a degree Fahrenheit. And it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's a lot of money to do nothing of any substance. Um, even though it's the biggest climate bill ever on paper. In the US, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, anyway, but we'll, we want to get into the ideas behind it, behind the climate movement and, in the philosophical views that make it so people assume human impact is bad and and talk about some of those ideas and and how they then lead to the policies and the analysis and the the things that are happening on the ground any other thoughts brad nope no i think i think that's good i think i think it's worth talking about and and of course, we're going to get a lot of heat for it because we're not we're taking any stand besides uh, the the environmental stand, and so it's it's going to be rough. But I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, we're going to push back against and perhaps the most widespread religion in the world right now. <laughs> most widespread dogmatic view. We'll put it that way. It's not a religion, obviously. So so tune in sense. for that. And with that, thank you for listening. Take care. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.